are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Spirit, Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Hey, Brent, is that a record for a number of people up here? It's, uh, yeah. It takes a great leader to lead that many people. We'll have a little, some words a little later on. Um, in terms of blessing, Brendan, this is his last Sunday. I guess you heard that, but um, it makes it a special day. Well, we're in this letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to uh, early Christians, and we understand that it has something to say to us today. That's what we're doing. And in this letter, there are three major themes that uh, we're going to focus in on. There are other themes in the letter as well, but we're going to be in this for nine weeks, and you can only do so much in nine weeks. Last week, we made it through two verses, so you can see that we've got to be a little bit selective. And these three themes are that we, Peter says, are living in exile. Okay? So you are, uh, other words there, you are a foreigner. You are a foreigner as you travel through this life. You are a stranger. Some of you are qualifying very good on that one. And the King James Version even amplifies that particular thing. You are a peculiar people. And, and then maybe aliens, if you like to go into that world. Those are all words that get used to describe Christians as they walk through this journey. So that's one theme. And the second theme is that because you are a little different, you, you're out of sync with the world around you, you will suffer at times. You'll have joy, but you will suffer at times. And then the third theme is that even though you have that suffering thing going on, you can still be winsome in how you live in a way that would cause others to ask, huh, what do they have that I don't have and want that for themselves? So that's what we're going to lean into. And I want to tell you a story that happened a long time ago in another galaxy, for those of you who are in the alien sort of category. Uh, but I had a woman come into uh, my office one day, and she represented a political action group for, I would call, conservative Christian causes. And she kind of wanted me to, uh, which it was, you know, I, I can't speak for the church on stuff like that. There's diversity within the church on a lot of that. But she wanted me to sign on to her cause and um, become a, a part of that. And I had to stop her in the middle and say, you know, I, I agree with you on not everything, but a lot of 
of this stuff. I agree with you, and I appreciate the concerns of your heart. But I just, I'm not a culture war Christian. And that's that, I mean, and it's not that I don't mind fighting, because I think there are things to fight for. But what I've noticed in this day and age that we live in is that when you, when you focus on those culture war questions, the gospel gets degraded and devalued, and people can't hear it. And that's really what I'm about, is the gospel. And we had a nice little talk. We didn't, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, she disagreed with me and I, you know, whatever, but it was, uh, it was okay. But that tells you kind of where we are today, and at least in, in my view, is that we're in what's called post-Christendom, and I'll define Christendom for you, is a society where Christian values are dominant and associated with the high places of public life, including the media, politics, law, the arts, and education. It's a place where Christianity is privileged as a worldview. And if, whether, whether you think that that's right or wrong or good or bad, the truth is that Christendom is over. The high watermark of Christendom was during the Middle Ages in Europe, and the high watermark in America was, historians say, roughly between 1800 with the Second Great Awakening and the year 19, late 50s, okay? Late 50s, before the, the 60s happened. So uh, there's a longing for that, but you've got to be careful that when you long for something that it's not getting in the way of, of what would be the main thing. Now, the problem with, with um, Christendom, or there's a couple of problems, but uh, one is that just like with anything, when the more quantity you have, sometimes the quality goes down. And what Mark Twain said, and uh, I, I believe he's a, kind of a prophet in a kind of a backwards way to American cultural Christianity, that was, he said it was a mile wide and an inch deep, like the River Platte. That was one of his famous sayings. And that um, he had ways of speaking into the hypocrisy of Christian culture, as have many others. So the broader Christianity gets, the thinner it gets, and the more hypocrisy is revealed. Am I making sense here? This is just, a lot of authors have made a lot of money on that theme right there. And uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy to uh, expose. So there's, there's issues with this, but the bottom line is that it's, it's over. And... Uh, We've, we've got to move on. Now, here's some resources if you want to go deeper on this. These are just two books that I've read in the last six months. Uh, Onward, Engaging Christian Culture, or Engaging Culture Without Losing the Gospel by Russell Moore. Um, and then Good Faith, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You Are Irrelevant and Extreme. Aliens, nonetheless. Uh, so what we're going to do here is, is what's it going to take to stand against the flow, how to live counterculturally as a Christian, we have to keep the main thing the main thing. Can you? Okay, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And Peter is going to focus us in on the main thing. And it's not learning how to create political action groups to change culture. Not surprisingly, it has something to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so we're going to go there. And here's our our uh, little three-part deal. Um, I get really messed up if there's ever more than three parts, so we're going to go with three parts here. Uh, the value of new life in verses three to five. Uh, two reasons for suffering that are very different in six and seven. And then love and joy in the journey, verses eight and nine. Okay? And we're just going to read through this and uh, 
kind of expose what we find here as we go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy. So Peter, remember I said this last week, Peter doesn't, mercy in his view is not a doctrine. It's a personal experience that he has had. He knows that he was a miserable failure and he knows at the same time that he was loved deeply. And that's what he means by mercy. And that's what, I want each of you, I mean, what, what, what I want for you and for me today is that we understand that we are loved deeply as failures. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want that for everybody. Don't you want that for everybody? I mean, it's just, it's so good. So he begins with that, that uh, it, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. The Bible says that we were breathed on twice. That you were breathed on in the creation story, in the representative person of Adam, as God breathed life, breathed his spirit into him. Breath and spirit in the scriptures are the same word, either in the Hebrew or in the Greek. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament and he breathes on his disciples. He breathes the Holy Spirit into them in a way that is about the new creation. So you're, you're twice created is what uh, this is picking up on, that greater theme of Scripture. You're given a new birth into a living hope, not a hope that is based on your wishful thinking and your desires. Uh, it's a living hope that is beyond you. It's bigger than you are. So here's the picture that uh, I love. I just love this picture because it illustrates so many principles of the Christian life. But you were one time, everyone was in an old reality, and then when you cross this bridge into life in Christ, eternity begins here, not when you die. Eternal life begins when you have Jesus Christ, the Lord of your life, and you begin, and your Savior, and you walk with him, and it's a very circuitous walk where there's all kinds of joys and difficulties, and you get to the end of your life, you take your last breath, and you're in that eternal place, which is really home. But it's, it's this journey, this exile journey that we're about. Now, I want to focus on the old reality for a minute. This is, there's two roads here. This is called the religious road, and this is the non-religious road. And so the, the religious road is full of people who love to define what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, also known as parents and teachers. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. We've got to do some of that, right? Then the non-religious road is filled with people who just want to have fun and they're not really concerned about other stuff. And some of you fit more into one category and the other. And since it's church, you all probably think, well, it's probably better to be in the good-bad category. Well, not necessarily because Jesus Christ, where did he like to hang out? He liked to hang out with people who were really struggling and they were maybe on the party road as opposed to the religious road. But cultural Christianity, it, it, at least people, what Christians, or Christians have done is identified with this religious road, and it's hurt the cause of the gospel as we've gone along. Now, here's the reality, truth, is that both the religious road and the non-religious road need to repent. The religious people need to repent of their self-righteousness, and the, the partiers need to repent of their sin. I mean, it, it's two forms of sin, but there's different ways of talking about it. But everybody needs to repent. I mean, just rethink life in terms of what God has revealed. So you've been born into this living hope that is up here. It's all about being up in here, not about being down in here. And what cultural Christianity has done is gotten us down there trying to reform things. And uh, it, it, there's, it's a mixed legacy. I'll leave it at that for now. Uh, 
through the resurrection, this is going to come about, Jesus, or Peter says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's not going to come about by forming political committees. It's going to come about because of a miracle based in the person of Jesus Christ who was really dead. As the munchkins said, she wasn't, the witch wasn't just dead, or merely dead, she was most sincerely dead, right? And Jesus Christ was most sincerely dead. He was for three days in the tomb, and then he was raised up. Now that's a miracle. But what Peter is saying is that you are part of that miracle. It's like you took your last breath in that old reality, you walk across that bridge, and you are in a new place. It's a new realm to explore. And um, uh, we, we lose sight of that. So uh, this, this new reality of a, being a miracle. Now, it, you, it may help you to just say to yourself right now, I am a miracle. And I don't mean, if you're not in Christ, I don't mean you're not a miracle. You're still a miracle. But if, you're, if you call yourself a Christian, you have to get this identity right. You are a miracle. So say it to yourself. Just say, I am a miracle. <laughs> you are. And it, we, we lose that sense. We think there's other ways of getting into that new life without it being a miracle. That's the point Peter is making. You can't do it. Okay? And we are then kept in heaven and shielded. Um, we, we're given this inheritance that can never perish. It's permanent and it's kept in heaven for you, who through faith you are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. Either, either when you die or in some bigger sense of when Christ comes back into this world. But you can taste it now. You import the future into the present moment. And that's what gives you that living hope. And Linda, yeah, you can, you can do that. Yeah, you can say that. Yeah, it's, it, this, is, this is the stuff that stirs up our hearts, that gets us up in the morning. I am not just going through another day on planet Earth. I am a miracle. And there is a future, and I'm going to live into that future. But here's the truth, is that you still have the pull of the past. Mm. So it's a battle. This is a battle. This journey in exile is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. But now here's the other thing. It's, it's a permanent place it's really good to know this, that this love is not subject to change. Now, here's, here's the example that I'll use. That um, More than once, I've sat down with a, a person who has been on the, what you call the short end of the stick of a marriage that has ended in divorce. In other words, their partner has left them. And they feel what that word abandonment means, the, just the rawness of it. And they hear this, Maybe for the first time, they discover this for the first time. That I remember these words from a woman, but I've heard men say similar things, and that is that I can't believe I finally found someone who wouldn't leave me. Just, I mean, just those words come out of somebody who is beside themselves with joy. And, if, and that's the sense of this, that you have a permanent love based in God's promises that will not vary you can live into that. Okay, that's the future coming into the present moment. Okay? All right, that's the first section there that has to do with that living hope. However, in verse, let's go to the, get the outline back up here. There's two reasons for some suffering that we're going to look at here. In verse 6, in this, in, in other words, Peter's going to say, in this you greatly rejoice. Well, what's the this? The this is the gospel that we just talked about. It's, it's, that's what it is. All that stuff right there that activates your heart and says, yes, I want that. The gospel. 
And then it says, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Well, what does a little while mean? And I can't tell you what a little while means. All I can tell you is that Peter wants you to know that it's absolutely normal for a Christian who's in exile going through this life to have suffering and grief from that suffering. If If you're in grief today, it's a normal thing. Now, there's different kinds of grieving. These these verses are very wonderful for comforting us in any kind of situation. But what Peter is really focusing in on here in his letter, it's people who are suffering for their faith. So let's just make that clear. doesn't mean the other doesn't matter. We all have uh, things in our journey that cause us to grieve, and we feel like we're suffering. But... um, this kind of suffering is what we're talking about. This is from the Archbishop William Laurie, who is in Baltimore. Uh, bloodless and polite persecution manifests itself in public schools, courts, laws, and policies that seek to manage and put limits on religion. Do you know that is so true? That is, don't close your eyes to this, folks. That is, that is happening. There's just, I can, you can verify that from a number of sources. Now, he's Catholic, and, and they, Catholics have a lot of institutions of culture that have run into conflict with the government in recent years. Uh, and that's where he's speaking from. But I think we can all agree with that statement. That is so true. It, we're going to talk about what pluralism is. You know what pluralism, how it gets defined in our culture? You can, you can believe anything you want as long as it's within this narrow range. Don't be an extremist. Don't be a bigot. Don't be, you know what, you believe this narrow belief here that we believe and we're all good. It's all pluralistic in there, but you can't get outside of it. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's not pluralism. It's something else. So this is true. And we're going to look at how you respond to that. And you don't do it by forming, there's other ways to respond. But we're going to talk about the gospel here again. So let me give you an example of what I would call, um, he calls it, persecution there, but I would just call it, in America, what we, what we uh, would feel would be something called social alienation. And if you, were, if you were ever, and some of you may be there right now, if you were ever in junior high, well, they don't have junior high anymore, do they? They have middle school. That's what they used to call where you go tomorrow. But it, is, it was junior high, and everybody knows who's been through a junior high what social alienation feels like. If you're wearing the wrong clothes, or you, you know, whatever, you know. So, Let's just get that feeling into us, and I think we'll all recognize it. As When you're walking in exile, you're going to feel this. So back in the 80s, when I was in my business life, I was in this thing called Rotary. You all know what that is? It's a service club like Kiwanis or Lions or whatever. And early on in that, I was, I was in that for 10 years, and early on in that, I became the guy in our, our Rotary club that did the invocation just, be, you know, for whatever reason, I guess. And, I mean, I, I was a Christian, but uh, I was willing to do it. And so what I learned really quick is that when you pray in Jesus' name, it doesn't feel the same as when you do it in church. How's that? I mean, in other words, we're all about Jesus here. We, we, you'd expect that when you come to a church on a Sunday that we would pray in Jesus' name. Am I, are you good with that? I mean, that's kind of, yeah. But when you go to a Rotary Club, you have Jewish people there, you have atheists there, you have agnostics there, you might have any number of labels there. So what do I do with this? One thing is if you keep doing it, I did it, and if you keep doing it, you realize they're not going to ask you to pray anymore, and then somebody comes and talks to you, you know? <laughs> this is social alienation. This is like junior high, members. Remember junior high? So I decided... Um, 
well, before I go to what I decided, I want to give you another quote from Russell Moore out of that book I shared earlier. Christian values were always more popular in American culture than the Christian gospel. Ah, that makes sense out of some things. That's why you could speak of God and country with great reception in almost any era of the nation's history, but would create cultural distance as soon as one mentioned Christ and him crucified. And that's what I was experiencing there. So I could pray a prayer of God, country, and family, and everybody's good. Just bless the food and we'll go on to the real stuff. That's how it felt. But I didn't, I don't know, I didn't feel good about that. So there's a couple of options as we walk through this journey. I'll give you the the, the classic ones. One is you can withdraw. I could leave Rotary Club, go find a group that prays in Jesus' name, and everything's good. I mean, I I just leave that behind. You withdraw from the world. Or you can attack, you can go into attack mode and and, uh, complain about it and resent it and all of that. Not a great witness. Or you can assimilate and contain your faith. This is what I believe. This is what the pluralistic, quote, pluralistic world we live in wants for Christians and probably any people of faith is that you contain your faith to Sunday morning and to your private time. So basically church and home. And I know some of you, that's what you've had to, you've you've gone to that mode. And the Bible would challenge that mode. That is not what the Bible says. Unfortunately for you, and I would say maybe for all of us, we have to be more bold than that. We are called to something greater than that. If we have the best news ever, we're held responsible for getting the word out. And um, it's, it's for all of life. You don't want to have a fragmented, disintegrated life where you do one thing in one sector and one thing in another. So it doesn't work. So here was what I tried to do, and it's called the creative approach. <laughs> is In my prayers for the Rotary Club, I came to the place, I, and I, just, I really did pray about this. I was, you know, suffering, I guess, from that grief of what it feels like to be a Christian in a public place. It's social alienation. And what I did was pray to prayer something, I mean, I would have a number of them that would, you know, just try to get creative. But I would pray something like, uh, oh Lord, truth be told, we're all a mess here today in this place. We all share our humanity and we share our sense of being in a mess in our humanity and we have troubles in our businesses and we have troubles in our homes and truth be told, Lord, we have troubles in our own hearts. We're worried about things. And so we ask you to help us. Just fix us. We, we We can't figure it out. In your name we pray. I wouldn't mention Christ because I didn't want to impose on people and I didn't want them to be disingenuous in their prayers. But did you know what? I got the gospel in there in a sneaky way. (laughs) I got it in there. And then, you know, what they really wanted you to do was bless the food. So finally I would get to that part. You know, that's why I was there, right? Bless the food. Okay, so um, this is what this social alienation thing feels like. But there's another reason for the grief that we feel. In verse 7, those who have, uh, are, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, in other words, the, the struggles that you're feeling, the suffering that you're experiencing, has come because of your faith, of great, which is of greater worth than gold, that it may be proved genuine. So, the world is behind our suffering, but guess what? God is behind our suffering. This is the part that's hard. God is behind our suffering, and Peter is going to pick up on that theme big time. 
Now, why would God be behind our suffering? It says there because our faith is not yet proven genuine. And it's not going to get proven genuine until we go through some testing. And so God tests us in order not that we would fall, but that we would become stronger. Are you with me on that? Now, this is at the very character of who God is. So God would not make a good parent in this here plateau. He is not a helicopter parent that keeps his son from dying on a cross. You've got to get that. Just figure that out. He stood back and let his son be crucified on a cross. And we could say, how could you let that happen? And God simply says through scripture over a hundred times, because I had a greater purpose that wouldn't be accomplished without suffering. And so each of us, we're not going to have that greater purpose. We're not going to be the savior of the world, but we have greater purposes in our lives. As we walk that journey, it's going to get hard. And Peter wants you to know that up front so that when you get in the middle and things are not going well, you won't bail out. So the world makes it hard for us and God allows that to happen for our own good. Okay, last section, joy and love. Let's go to, anybody for joy and love? Hey, let's go there. Okay, verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. So Peter did see Jesus. He walked with him for three years. Jesus the man. We have no um, photos or anything, but we know that he did. And then Peter saw and experienced Jesus in the 40 days that he was resurrected from the dead. That's big. It would seem that Peter has an advantage over these people who have not seen him And yet, like us, we have not seen him, yet we love him. And when you say, uh, it's just, the word love here is so beautiful, uh, it cuts through the clutter. And a lot of times when I I get into uh, discussions about who God is or or what what doctrine is, one of the things that cuts through the clutter is just to ask that question, do you love God? I mean, do you love him? And Peter is reminding them here of the main thing, that you love him because of all that he's done for you. You love him. It's instructive for us. And he goes on. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You are receiving the future into the present. You, don't, you didn't see him, but here's what happens. Here's how, here's how we would explain it. That when you heard about God's love for you, there was a conviction of the Holy Spirit that said, that's true for me. And, and I, that's how it works. The Spirit convicts us, not just of our sin and our need for God, but of his love for us. It's a spiritual thing. Okay, so let me give you a picture of this. This week, I was with an old friend. I've known this guy. Uh, we, I was at a pastor's group, and he's uh, a fellow pastor, but I've known him since a long time, 35-plus <laughs> years. And he, we were together on Thursday, and in this group, kind of going around the circle, talking about our lives. And he said, today is the 35th anniversary of my sobriety. Amen. And... Um, 
And when he says sobriety, he's talking also about new birth into a living hope. It's, it's, it was big. And I was there in his life at the time, and I knew about him before that day. Prayed for him. And uh, it was such a beautiful thing. And then now he's become a pastor. Now, I've been with him for, so a, kind of a friend for 35 plus years, but whenever I've heard him tell that story, I've always noticed something about him. And that is that he falls apart. He literally falls apart. The tears just start coming. He can hardly talk. Now, he's wired differently than I am. I don't, I don't like to fall apart in front of people. I kind of keep it in. And, but he just can't. He can't contain himself. And I, I've said to him before, I said, you cannot get over that, can you? And he says, no, I'll never get over it. And I said, well, don't get over it. Because what happened in that group, once he shared that, you could see these pastors who've had some rough things going on in their lives, all of them reconnected to the sense that God has done a great thing for me. I am a miracle. I have been given new birth into a living hope. It goes way beyond my daily life. And there's just the the joy, the inexpressible joy that comes through that moment. Now, there's one more thing before we close, and that is that in verse 12, if you were paying attention, um, there's somebody else that can't get over it, and that is the angels. It says that the angels long to look into these things. Now, we don't know a lot about angels, but isn't it curious that we do know that angels are very, very wondrous or curious about what God has done? And they're scratching their heads, if, this is, if I interpret it right, and they're looking at Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Eternal One who had glory before the world began, who came into this old reality. And he hung out with people, and it was the religious people who most directly put him on the cross with their self-righteousness, but it was also the non-religious people. And at any rate, it's the, the angels just looking at the gospel and thinking, how could this be? How could God love people so much that he allowed his son to come into this world and die on a cross, and that cross gets tipped over sideways and becomes the bridge to walk into new life? I mean, just figure out what the angels might be thinking here. That's the gospel. And that's why we can never get over it. Now, here's the question that each of... I'm going to ask two questions. One, have you walked across that bridge? You can do that today. Just making it known. You can do it today. It's available to you. The Holy Spirit, who is alive, comes into our hearts and opens up those doors and says, just walk. Just walk across. It's, it's in your... Your, your willpower to do that. You can do that. And that's how eternal life begins. But here's the other question. If you've done that, have you gotten over it? How could you get over it? And how could you think that focusing on cultural values is going to take the place of the eternal gospel? Have you gotten over it? Are, are you able to reconnect with that sense of, I was lost, but now I'm found. I don't deserve this. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So let's just take those questions and pray a short prayer. Lord, draw us to yourself wherever we are, we pray. And we are in different places in a room like this with this many people. We are in different places. There's places where the failure is so profound that we wonder if we could ever... I mean, we'll, recover 
least in your eyes. And there's, there's good places. But Lord, I, I pray that you would con- give conviction of the Holy Spirit, that there would be an openness of heart for anyone who has not walked across that bridge, that bridge which is your cross, your way for us to get into that new life. I pray for that right now. You can do that today. Just say yes to Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for all of us who have just lost that sense of, I don't know, somehow we were able to get over it and we've lost the sense of the amazing thing that you have done for us, that new birth into a living hope. So, Lord, awaken us in our, in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.